Luke chapter 12, beginning in 13, is where we will be today. If you're following along with me in our house Bibles, we will start on page 924. So page 924, or Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Now, we have for the last few weeks talked about what it means to be human, what it means to be made in the image of God, what it means to be made male and female and to be created by God. We talked last week about what it means to have a body and how we are to honor God with our bodies and not dishonor our bodies and how we are a... We've been talking about what we are, (laughs) humans, body, mind, soul, spirit, one complete whole. Today, I'd like to talk about what we're supposed to do, or what is a human life? What is, I mean, very simple and perhaps just as basic a question as what we've been asking, what is life, and what is it supposed to be? This was the primary question that the ancient Greek philosophers sought to answer, whether Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, or the schools that followed after them, the primary question is, what is life for, or what is the good life to be lived like? And though they came up with different ways of answering the question, they all answered it the same way. Life is about, you might say, the pursuit of happiness. Eudaimia was the word that they used. This, this pursuit of the good life is a pursuit of the happiest possible life. And they understood very clearly that the happiest possible life wasn't about indulging every desire, but about the control of desires. The happy life was a life spent, lived virtuously, the way they understood virtue, in pursuit of knowledge and wisdom, since they're philosophers, of course, they would say, you know, the happiest life is doing what we do, Uh, pursuing wisdom, but pursuing virtue and controlling one's desires rather than being controlled by them. They spent a lot of time, and there's plenty of books, if you're having trouble sleeping, that you can go and read uh, to understand their answer to what is life. But what I present to you today is Christ's answer. Christ spoke clearly to us about this. What is a life? How is it wasted? How is it lived well? The answer to all this we get in broad overview from Luke chapter 12 in one of Christ's great teaching passages to the church. So you know in putting it together from the last few weeks, what is it to be a human and what is it to have a body, but now let's talk about what is the good life? How do you live it well? How do you waste it? And what are we supposed to be doing right now? Let's pray together and let's find out. Father God, I pray now that we would hear your word and that we would believe it. I pray, since you've spoken so clearly to us, I pray that we would hear it and receive it just as clearly, that we would trust it and follow it. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Now, someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he told them, watch out 
and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, what should I do, uh, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That is how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Friends, first of all, what life is not. Life is not in the abundance of possessions. It's a strange thing to begin with. There's the crowds, they're all around Jesus, Jesus is teaching them, and a guy yells out in the crowd, teacher, make my brother share the inheritance with me. It's a weird thing to shout out in a crowd, even then, even now. It's a strange thing, and that's the concern of that guy, the overriding concern of the guy who apparently just lost a beloved family member, is not as concerned about that as he is about getting what's his. It's about the things. And Jesus says, somewhat ironically here, who appointed me judge over you? (laughs) Well, it's Christ. He is appointed judge Uh, The point that Jesus is making humorously is, who cares about this? Why is the over... If you get to go before Jesus and get one question answered, if you get to go before Jesus and get one request, why would it be the thing that you call out to Him about stuff? About, hey, I want to make sure I get stuff fairly in my inheritance. And that's what Jesus is commenting on is how foolish that concern is, given greater concerns, and yet, though foolish, awfully typical, awfully normal of all of us. Jesus says that you need to watch out and be on guard against all greed. This focus and fascination with stuff, the preoccupation with things, It's not unique to him. It's not unique to us. It's a part of the human condition, and it always has been. Now, it manifests itself sometimes exactly like this guy, as in disputes over inheritance can be awfully disgraceful and can break up families in painful ways when various family members care about stuff more than they do about the enduring relationships with each other. I mean, it also affects all of us if the thing that we do when we get bored is shop, not because you need something, but I'm bored. Why not? And that the focus of this man's life when he has an abundance is to store it up all the more so that he won't have to do anything anymore, but can simply sit back and rest. And God says, if your life is about stuff, you've lived it foolishly. You fool, he has said, you have wasted your life if your life was about stuff alone. Certainly, it is easier to have a life where you don't have to worry about basic necessities. Surely, it is easier in a life where you don't have to worry about basic necessities. But if our focus becomes the accumulation of things, that's, after all, what's in view here. This man has an abundance If our focus becomes on the accumulation and possession of things, of spending our time building up more storehouses for our stuff, what has our life been about? 
I feel like there's a pretty clear application about the proliferation of storage units. But I, I don't want to be too on the nose for, for some of us today. You know, I don't, I don't want to strike too close to home, maybe, with just how many storage units there are out there. But let us think carefully if our life is about the abundance of possessions or if it is about something greater. Surely one application for this would be in estate planning. Think about what you're going to leave and who you're going to leave it to and how to be organized and sorted out. You know, estate planning, having a will, these things are good because you don't want to cause conflict amongst your family. So make it real clear beforehand. Here's how we'll keep it simple. Here's how we'll split it. You take what you got. Take what there is. If there's something to, to give to anybody, you know, estate planning is good. But there's an even older idea that's been modernized to be called ethical estate planning. Are you familiar with this one? The idea of writing a letter to your descendants to tell them, here is how we live as a family. And in fact, the most beautiful funerals that I've been to in the last few years are the ones in which family members could get up and say, Grandma taught us this. That's my inheritance. Grandpa, he taught us to live in this way. That's my inheritance. Let us perhaps focus in this way and not on stuff. But what we will accumulate and pass on of virtue, what we will accumulate and give to other people, not of things, to answer the question, who, whose things will they be? Your life will be demanded of you this very night, Jesus says. And the things you've prepared, who are they going to? Let's forget about that, since our life is not about the abundance of possessions, and the person who makes their life about the abundance of possession is foolish and has wasted their life. Instead, let us spend our time thinking about this ethical will. What will we create and pass on into the world by way of virtue? We are not born knowing how to relate well to each other as Christians. We're not born knowing how to be gracious and kind and forgiving. These things must be taught. How many people can we teach these things to? Let us be proud, wide-ranging teachers to all the people around us. Next, starting in verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or about the body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. And aren't you worth more than the birds? I always like it when birds get mentioned in Scripture, because it feels personal every time. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Sure. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you? You have little faith. Don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. First of all, life is not about possessions. 
And second of all, our lives must not be filled with worry and anxiety. First, we have these two on the negative. What is a life? Since Jesus is talking about life over and over again throughout the rest of this chapter, what is a life? First of all, it's not about possessions. Second of all, it cannot be chewed up by worry and by anxieties. I imagine one or both of these two strikes right to the heart for you. I can take both of them. <laughs> they, they hit me just right because it's part of the human condition. It's not just our modern problem, although our modern problems uh, paint this in a certain way, but Christ was saying this even to His ancient audience. It's simply the nature of people to focus on stuff or to have anxiety about the stuff that they don't have control over. First of all, you don't have to worry about the necessities of life because God cares about you. The foundation of our faith, of this good life, is that there is a God who cares and who is near. This is one of the first things that sets our faith apart from other religions and other faiths. There's a God who cares dearly about you and has good planned for you. And then it's all great news from there. We can't let our life be filled with anxiety about basic essentials, basic necessities, but I might add, we cannot let our lives be lived worried about national issues or existential issues over which we have very little control. There are things worth worrying about. There are absolutely things worth praying about. And by all means, be dearly in prayer for our wonderful nation. We can't let our life be lived wasted by worrying about things we have no control over and living anxious about things that we can do nothing about. We can pray, pray, and then let us move on doing the things that God has called us to do and the things that we are doing. Always remember the powerful novel and any movie version or musical version of Les Miserables. What's the backdrop to this wonderful story? The French Revolution. This awful, bloody revolution is going on, and it should absorb all of the attention in this book or in this play, in this musical, and it doesn't, because what's, that's just the background for what's really going on, this story about one man and his seeking redemption and his desire to lay down his life for other people and to live, lift them up, all of it coming together in the phrase, to love another person is to see the face of God. The national politics, as dire as they are, the French Revolution there, simply become the backdrop for something far more important that is going on. So likewise, it must be your life. You cannot be chewed up by anxiety or worrying about things you don't have control over. There is far more that you don't have control over than you do. But the good life is not going to be one concerned about the abundance of possession and is not going to be one wasted on worrying and anxiety over things you have no control over. I might, by way of another application, offer you this. The good life is not wasted on worrying or anxiety about your children. Don't you know that your life and your time with your children can be wasted by worrying over them and having anxiety over them? We must trust God and do what we can do. And what can we do? Let us pray to this God who has so boldly declared to us His desire, His love and affections. And let us raise, in the case of children, let us raise them right. Raise them right. Teach them the way that they should go and trust the Lord and pray to Him diligently. After all, who loves these children more? 
you or him? And if it is him, then let us not waste any longer having worry and anxiety. Listen, there are, as I've said, things worth caring about and worth grieving over. This isn't to say you're supposed to have some stoic life, dispassionate from things that are worrying or devastating. It's not to say you're not to grieve. Grief is a part of Christ's life and is a part of the Christian life. We grieve deeply for things that are not right and broken. We grieve deeply when people we love are hurting and suffering. But we grieve with hope. We don't grieve with anxiety or worry. We grieve with prayer. We grieve diligently before our God, knowing that He is the one who loves more and He is the one who is going to set things right. So life is not about the abundance of possession and life is not about worrying and anxiety. Now that we've all been thoroughly beaten up and convicted over these things because they've been true and real in all of our lives, let's turn to what life is about. Verse 31. Let's start back in 30. The Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things. It's perfectly normal is what he says. The world just seeks these things, possessions and anxiety. But your Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your Father delights to give to you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourself that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, on the heels of talking about possessions and anxiety, I think this is one of those passages that doesn't really need a lot of explanation. You just read it and enjoy it because it's true. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Friends, don't be afraid. It is God's good desire that you should inherit the kingdom of heaven. That is all things. The kingdom of heaven is His kingdom. And His kingdom entails everything that He has made. So, what is His kingdom? But everything that belongs to Him rightly and that He is not only bringing us into, but putting us in authority over along with Him. Don't you know that this life is short? This life can be difficult. But this life is not the end for us. This life can have its worries and can have its anxieties. This life can have its needs and its unmet needs. But this life is not the end. This life, if Christ delays, this life will end in death but then that death will end in life forevermore. And that life will not end in Christ. Don't you know that God's desire for you is to provide you with eternal life and His kingdom? What it means is God's desire for you is even greater than your desire for you. And this is what God is making you for and preparing you for. Life is not about worrying. Life is not about possessions. But life is about seeking His kingdom first and foremost. The Christians who serve God best as Christians now are the ones who think about His kingdom coming the most. 
We're not, we're not pie in the sky and not idealists if we spend our time thinking about eternity and being with God. In fact, those of us who love that, His coming the most, are the ones who serve Him the best in this life. Verse 35, life's not about those things, but life is about seeking the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does it look like for us to live a life seeking Christ now? Let's keep going. Verse 35, here's the answer. What does it look like to live the good life in Christ right now? Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and he knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will get ready. Uh, he will get ready. Have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you will not expect. God's timing is not our timing. And the call to be a good servant of Christ is to simply be prepared for God's timing. It's to be prepared at all times. The good servant of Christ, the life well lived, is a life prepared for the good work that God has for you whenever it shows up. We make all kinds of plans, as a church, I mean, good, good ministry plans. We've got all kinds of ideas about when we're going to invite people to church, when we're going to have big events that share the gospel with people, when we're going to go on mission trips and share the gospel, when we're going to do VBS and share the gospel with all these children all together. We've got great plans and ideas, and God bless them. Let our plans be fulfilled uh, that we can do great things for Christ. But God's plans are not our plans, and the call to the good servant is not just to have planned to do good work, but to be ready whenever God's work happens. Have, has it ever happened to you that you missed an opportunity to do the good work that God called you to, and you didn't realize it until days later, and you kicked yourself about it? If not, just wait a little longer. This is a part of the Christian life. It happens to all of us to not know until later, or to have not known what to say at the time, to not be prepared. But friends, the good life, the life of God... The life well lived is the one prepared and ready to give an answer at any time. The one not distracted by the distractions of the world, but ready to simply invite somebody along to worship the Lord. Ready always to say a prayer for somebody. Ready to jump into action when it is needed. The call, what is a good life? It's the one in which you stay awake. You be diligent and you be ready for service. There is a, of all the gifts out there, there is a gif of a guy out hunting. He's, he's dove hunting. This is one of the few kinds of huntings I know about. I know how to dove hunt. I enjoy dove. And, uh, and I, I watched this short video of this guy out dove hunting, and they're, they're shooting and hunting and all this, but then he's just kind of walking back to the car, and all you see is somebody's filming him for some reason. He's walking back to the car, and a bird starts flying towards him, and he looks up real quick, and no joke, catches it in his hand, alive. Just, <laughs> got another one into the pack. Let us be awake, and let us be ready, because things happen when you don't expect them to happen. 
Make plans, by all means, to serve the Lord faithfully, but we have to be ready both in season and out of season. As God will bring about opportunities by His plan when we are not necessarily ready for them, and so we must stay awake and be ready all the time. Church, y'all, many of you are already great at this, and I just want to encourage you on that. I heard recently uh, from one of our members, one mom who was sick, and suddenly her child was also sick, like sick all over the place, kind of sick. And before she could get out of bed being sick herself, sent a message to another mom bemoaning the situation and said other mom was there before the first one could think about anything to help clean up her child's sickness. I ha- Some of y'all are prepared to, like, catch the dove out of the air. Like, I mean, immediately. Some of you are prepared and stay awake in ways that are just impressive and encouraging to me. We have other members who are ready to help it ready to jump in and help fix houses, fix things for people when they need them. Like, ready, ready. Because when your house breaks, when something goes wrong, you need help today, right? We have members who are ready to say, yeah, 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 I'll be there in just a second, (laughs) to show up and to help fix what problems there are immediately, not waiting or delaying or saying a week later, oh, I should have taken a look at that. We must likewise do the same. Uh, You and I all have memories of when there was an opportunity for us to share the gospel or pray for somebody or invite somebody to church. And we, did, we remembered later on, we thought about it and go, oh, wait a second, I gotta, where was that person? <laughs> We've got to go back and find them. i got to go back and talk to them. We all have memories of this when there is nothing to do except pray, Jesus, would you send somebody else into that person's life? Because I'm sorry I wasn't awake for it. Well, no more. Let us not be found asleep, but let us be found awake and diligent. If you'll hear it, In the words of Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Let me say, just like Ferris Bueller, opportunities to share with other people the grace of God, they come up fast, and if you're not awake, you will miss them. Let us stay awake. That's the life well lived. If you're looking for it, and if you want to live life before God, then you have to stay awake to what God is doing. Continuing on, verse 41, Lord, Peter asked, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of the household servants to give them their allotted food at the prepared time? Blessed is the servant who comes to the master, uh, blessed is that servant who comes to the master uh, who when the master comes, finds doing his job. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, ah, my master is delayed in coming, and starts to beat the male and female servants, and to eat, and to drink, and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, he will cut him to pieces." and assign him a place with the unfaithful. That servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected." This is, I think, the most surprising teaching so far. 
But we'll take it from the top. What he says, Peter says, okay, are you telling this parable to just us or is this parable for everyone? And the answer that the Lord gives, that Jesus gives, is essentially, it's for whoever is preparing to be a member of the kingdom of heaven. Once again, we are not simply citizens in the kingdom of heaven, but Christ has made us to rule with Him. This is shocking to people who are not believers, but it ought not to shock you if you are a Christian that God has made us for leadership and management in His kingdom. And so God says, who then is the faithful and sensible manager that His master will put in charge of His household? That's talking about the kingdom. So what are the characteristics of the person who will inherit the kingdom of God, who will be put into authority in the kingdom of God? Is it the person who says, yeah, well, you know, the master may or may not come. I'll do what I want in the meantime being abusive to other people, being drunk on the master's goods? Or is the servant the one who is diligently working while the master is coming? We must not just stay awake, friends, but we must stay active in Christ's kingdom. The good life, the life that God has called you to is the one where you stay awake, but it's also the one where you stay active and be fruitful. It won't simply do for you and I to having had a good season in the past somewhere where we served God diligently that, that one year, those couple of years ago, it won't do for us to simply rest on that. God has called us to be fruitful and to continue to work in His kingdom. I remember when Meredith and I were first married and we were young, there was an older guy who came up to me and just smiling and happy and more smiling and happy about our young, hopeful life uh, than we knew that we should be. And he said to me, ah, you're just living a charmed life. And I loved that phrase. It was interesting. I'd never heard that before. And I don't think I've heard that again, the phrase, you're just living a charmed life, just patting me on the back, just excited and happy about how great life was going to be with a good wife and just the future in front of us. I didn't realize it at the time or I didn't understand it, but he was right. God's been gracious. And the command is, or the, what the teaching is this, for everyone who has been given much, much will be required. From the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Even before that, he says, there's this punishment for those who knew better and didn't do it. And then there's this other lighter beating, is what he says, this lighter punishment for those who did not know better. Ignorant is not the same thing as unfaithful. But for you who are even here listening to the Word of God today, you're becoming less and less ignorant all the time. Do you understand? You come to trust Christ and you don't know everything that God wants for your life, but the more we read His Word and the more we serve Him, the more we come to know Him, the less ignorance we have and the more that we've been entrusted with. Perhaps you are brand new to your faith. God bless you. We're so glad that you are here come. As you follow Christ, more and more will be entrusted to you. But perhaps you, like me, have been following Christ for a long, long time. To the one who God has been so gracious to, to allow us to follow Him for years and years, much is required. We're living a charmed life, you guys. I say that even knowing how bad some things are. We're living a charmed life, and to the one who much has been given, much is required. Let us serve all the more diligently. If God has been so gracious to you as to let you follow Him all these years, then all the more work that we need to do and not rest and relax. 
perhaps for another illustration, I have a couple of chickens, right? And so they have to turn up in sermon illustration every now and again. If you own any sort of piece of livestock, they need to arrive in, in the form of sermon illustration. My chickens are egg machines. I was so surprised at this too. I thought chickens had seasons for laying eggs, right? People tell you, oh, they slow down in the winter. Not these chickens. I've got four chickens. I get three to four eggs a day every day, and I have been for like two years now. They don't slow down. There's no off-season for them. They're constant production egg machines, these chickens. They have been bred for this purpose. Generation after generation, we've been doing this for a long time, y'all, uh, breeding chickens in order to lay a whole bunch of eggs. And these chickens are well-bred, apparently. Who knew? It was kind of a, you get them from tractor supply, you just don't know what you're going to get. But these chickens, they know how to lay eggs. And they lay a whole lot of eggs. It's shocking. Will you accept that as an illustration for our lives? Let us be just machines of bearing fruit for Christ. No off-season. No retirement. No, I'm too young for this. I'll get to it when I grow up a little bit more. But let us be the kind of well-bred machines that bear fruit all of our lives for the Lord. After all, to the one who much has been given, and that's us. I even know the difficulties going on around us. And yet still, we are the ones who God has blessed immeasurably, are we not? Has God not been so gracious to us? Well, the one who much has been entrusted to, much will be expected of. Let us not slow down. Let, let not the present difficulties in our lives keep us from bearing much fruit until the very end of our lives, until our last breath, let us bear all the fruit that we can and be good and faithful servants of our Lord. That's what life is, to have sought His kingdom first. It's not about possessions. It's not about anxieties or worries. It's about seeking His kingdom and then seeking to be a good servant, a faithful servant, a fruitful servant in His kingdom. Dear congregation, just even as a church, we've had a wild season. I want to say a wild year, but let's say a wild three years. I mean, how long has this COVID thing been going on? Uh, and how many of our friends and church members and fellows have, have been sick or are hurting right now? How much wild difficulties go on and on? I mean, not a day goes by when we can't together be grieving over one of our friends and one of our members who is hurting. The grief is ever before us, and yet the blessings are as well. Look how gracious this God continues to be. I mean, at what point were we forced by our tears and grief to stop worshiping Him? Never. God continues to be so gracious. So I ask you, friends, what else can we do to encourage the other saints around us? What else can we do to let people know about Jesus Christ as Lord? You know, the things that we've done, the things you've done in one season of life may not work for bearing fruit in another season. It's just the way they are. Our methods for encouraging other people and helping other people come to trust Christ are like fishing lures. Some work sometimes and some don't work other times. So perhaps our old methods will work just fine again this year, and perhaps we need new ones. It doesn't matter whether they're old or whether they're new. What else can we do? to encourage the other saints? What else can we do to tell people who don't know about Christ? What can we do to help lift the heads of our neighbors? What can we do to strengthen our friends? Brothers and sisters, let us be fruitful and immensely fruitful before God. 
this is what life is about. Christ is not done yet. He continues on, and in the rest of the verses, He prepares them for the difficulties that will be had in life. So far, you've got, here's what life is not. It's not about stuff. The way you're born and the way the world works, it's all wrong. Life's not about stuff. Life is not about anxieties and worries. Life is about seeking His kingdom and bearing much fruit and being a good servant even now before we enter into His kingdom. But then, Jesus also gives us a heads up lets us know about the difficulties that we will face if we are going to live this life in this world. Verse 49, Jesus says, I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how it consumes me until it is finished. Do you think that I came here to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five and one household will be divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. These are some powerful words here. Jesus saying, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a fire, and I wish it was already set ablaze but I have a baptism to undergo, he says. You'll understand, Christ is saying, I come to bring judgment against all that is evil. You'll understand Jesus to be saying, I hate evil and suffering, and I'm here to bring justice to it. But before then, I've got some work to do, and that is, I'm going to pay the price for anybody who would come to me. He says, how I wish it was already time for judgment. But hold on, first of all, Let me offer a second chance to any last one of you who wants to put their trust in me. That's what Jesus says. He says, did I come to bring peace? Well, before that day, there will be division. I think many of you already know about this, don't you? A house divided by Christian faith. How stressful and strained it can be to go to some family gatherings when there are people who you love dearly and who you grew up with and care about who aren't following Christ right and seem to be looking for an opportunity to be angry about it that you are. You know how quickly these family situations can blow up and be divided and how grave and sad that is when one brother trusts Christ and the other brother doesn't? Jesus has already told you, even long before you were born, that this is going to be the way it is. Not everyone is going to trust Him, and it's not going to follow simple household lines tragically. You see this represented so well in the book Pilgrim's Progress, when the very first thing that happens, when the main character named Christian, since the whole thing is a big allegory, when Christian is burdened by his sin and knows that he has to reach out to God and leave his hometown, the city of destruction, in order to go on to Zion. And at first he delays for a long time in following after God and going in that way because he's trying to convince his wife and his children, his family, his neighbors to go with him. He's telling them all about the burden of sin that's on his life and how he can't keep living like this anymore, but he has got to pursue Christ. But every last one of them makes fun of him and ridicules him and will not go with him till at last the book begins. This is the first few pages. Christian has to leave to pursue God all by himself. And Christian in that book finds what he is looking for, and you will too. Though be prepared, in this life you will have distress like this. Next, verse 52. He also said to the crowds, 
When you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say, a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say, it's going to be hot, and so it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance on the earth and sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? We're going to have the trouble of distress, but we're also going to have the trouble of hypocrisy. There are plenty of people who know how to tell the weather when a front's coming in. We know how to tell when the good times are coming and when the bad times are coming in life. We know all these things. But how is it that we don't know how to please God if we say we're Christians? There will be plenty of people who are hypocrites around us. There will be those who are distressing. There will be plenty of hypocrisy. People who say they know the Lord, but don't seem to know what the Lord wants in their life. How can that be? How can it be to say, yes, I love Christ, but to see no following Him? It's already declared beforehand, listen, in this life, there will be distress between families and individuals. There simply will be. But you'll also have to dodge and navigate through hypocrisy. There's people who say, oh, I love the Lord. I believe in Christ. I know God, but they don't seem to know what God wants. That's the hypocrisy he's talking about here. To know God is to know His will for our lives. The next is this, verse 57. Why don't you judge for yourself what is right? Are you going, uh, as you go on with your adversary to the ruler, make every effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge, and the judge won't hand you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff, uh, the, sorry, then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge will hand you over to the bailiff. The bailiff will throw you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last cent. In this life, there will be distress. In this life, there will be hypocrisy around. In this life, there will also be strife. There will be difficult between, difficulty between friends. Just because we're Christians, it doesn't mean that we don't have difficulty among each other. There's going to be some stress and there's going to be some strife. There's going to be some hurt feelings amongst friends. But the call here from the passage is this, make every effort to settle on the way. Your goal is not to have won. Your goal is to have made peace. There's going to be difficulty while you're trying to pursue Christ and live the good life. I just want you to know there will be strife and contention between friends, between neighbors. But do whatever you can in order to make peace with those people around you in this life. There's more. Verse thir- uh, chapter 13. At that time, some people came and they reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifice. He responded to them. Do you think these Galileans were more sinful than all other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also perish as well. Or those 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed, do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. He's talking about two disasters here, one a political disaster Pilate did something evil. He killed some Jewish people, and he mixed their blood with their sacrifices, a a heinous thing to do, both the murder and then the desecration. And while God doesn't give us the reason why tragedies happen in our life, He does give you one answer, just one answer. For all the survivors, He says, what should you do but to repent and turn to God? to see the tragedies in life and to turn to God. He says, you remember that time that tower fell on those 18 people? Just a disaster. 
Nobody caused it. Just a tower fell on those 18 people and they lost their lives. A great tragedy. It says, do you think that it happened because they were sinners or more sinful than you? No. But here's one result. Take today to turn and repent towards God. There's going to be distress in life. This life, you've been prepared. Consider yourself well advised. As you try to pursue God in life, there's going to be distress. There's going to be strife. There's going to be infighting and there's going to be turmoil. There's going to be hypocrisy, and you know what? There's going to be disasters, whether it is health disasters and health crisis that will show up in your life or around you, natural disasters, just evil in the world. And God, one thing that He does, though He doesn't tell us which all things will happen when, He does say this, let the knowledge that these things will happen give you an opportunity to repent and turn towards Him today. Understand that you're not going to be in control of your life. Bad things will happen, but you do have today to put your trust in Christ and to seek after Him. Finally, he says this, our last section, verse 6 of chapter 13. He told him this parable, a man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came and looked for fruit on it, and he found none. And he told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years I have come and I have looked for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, sir, leave it yet another year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year. If not, you can cut it down. Understand how all this goes together about the life. And first, we found out what the Christian life is not. It's not a life of pursuing possessions like the rest of the world. It's not a life of anxiety, but rather it's a life of seeking the kingdom first, and it is a life of being good servants, good, fruitful, diligent, awake servants to God right now. But He prepares us for the tragedies and the difficulties of this life. He says, listen, first of all, there will be distress there's going to be hypocrites you're going to, have to run into. So there's going to be strife and infighting. You're going to have difficulties getting along sometime. And you know what? There's going to be disasters and tragedies and health crises. And he pitches all these out to us. And he says it's going to be difficult. The going is not always going to be easy. But you know what? This life is not forever. This season is not forever. Because those things, the strife, the difficulties, the hypocrisy... Those will not go on forever, but we will go on forever with Christ. So finally, about the good life, there's this last parable about fruitlessness. A master comes out to a tree, and he says, this tree is not bearing any fruit. For years, this tree hasn't done anything good for me. Cut it down. We're done with it. But the vineyard worker says, you know what? Let me, let me give it a little bit more work, one more chance. Let me make it a little bit easier. I'm going to dig around it and put some fertilizer on it. I'm going to water it a little bit better. Give it one more chance to try and be fruitful. Y'all, this is us. And this is God who gives us yet one more chance to live a fruitful life before Him now. Today is the grace of God towards you. Now is the grace of God towards you. Did you not already hear in this passage how Christ said, oh, I'm ready to bring judgment and make everything right. I'm ready to get rid of all evil and all people who do evil. But wait, because this is the nature of God. One more chance. For you who don't believe, one more chance to trust God. For you who do believe, one more chance to bear fruit. 
One more opportunity, one more year in the parable. We don't know how long this is, but there is one more chance, and that's today. The life we've been given is not long enough, but the life to come is. So don't waste this time on building up possessions or daydreaming about building up possessions. Don't waste this life on worrying about things you can't control, whether it is basic needs or politics or family. Rather, stay awake and be prepared for the good service that God has prepared you for. Be fruitful in this season, whatever season it is that you're in. Think, how can we encourage faith in other people and how can we help bring other people to faith while there is time? And know that in this life, you will face distress and hypocrisy and strife and disaster and tragedy and seasons of fruitlessness as well. Fair warning. And the fact that He lets us know these things ought to ease the burden a little bit. Knowing it's coming and not being surprised or shocked by them will help you navigate and steer through the most difficult seasons of your life. But know also that God is patient with us even when we falter and even when we become fruitless. God is still patient with us. His desire is still that we would have another chance to come before Him, to be fruitful, to live lives of joy before Him. So come, friends, wake up. Put your back into it. Let us arrive on that day, having helped to bring many sons to glory. Father God, I thank You so much that You are so patient with us. I thank You that if it has to be this hard, I thank You that You warned us and that You didn't leave us alone through any of it. Now, no matter what the season or the challenges of it, I pray that You would help us to be awake to what's important, and to bear much fruit. I thank you for another chance, and another chance, and another chance. But we know these don't go on forever. So I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you'd give us the strength to seize this chance and to bear much fruit before you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.